Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And I remember Michael Cooper and Magic Johnson pretty much called it ML Car Fiddler. And that was in this guy Roots, who was almost like a, a, a turncoat to his race. Was And the way they mocked him, it was, it was really, it was like a slap in the face. Mm. The big girls love that. Chicks love the last shot opportunity. Somebody give me a napkin so I can wipe my mouth. Ah. So uh, it's Nick Jelso today, and you know I get to fill in for for Joe Sway, the normal voice you hear. And I, I don't know, I can't say, I can't replace those pipes, man. He's got the best pipes in the business. But I'm I'm here with, obviously, it's his podcast, Cedric Maxwell, and something something pretty cool is happening today, man. Well, yeah, just the fact that we got a chance to talk to uh, Michael Cooper, uh, ex Laker guy. I hated. <laughs> he hated me. Uh, we got a chance to vent. Kind of, yeah, vent. Chop it up to me as you're sitting there, as you said, it was like me and he was saying this. It was like therapy. He mm-hmm. said, Max, you had this on your mind, and I am sitting here, didn't have my air conditioner. I should have my air oh. conditioner on because I am sweating like a pig as I am going over some of these things. Oh. And emotionally, yep. everything just kind of went into my mind and stuff that we were saying. It was just, just basically so, so good. It was like butter, like a filet mignon. I'm sitting here in Cedric Maxwell's. <laughs> kitchen he cooked a filet mignon that's kicking my ass and now we're going to talk to you're going to listen to michael cooper and max go at it kind of a little more civil than they did in the 80s we kind of had the gloves on yeah did you know but I know. by the time we, <laughs> by the time we finished them up. all the gloves were off and we were letting everything fly so you guys are going to get some some real treats in this thing you, you're really going to love it because I totally enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward maybe to one. one of these podcasts, maybe to even to finally break bread and do something with, oh, uh, with James Worthy. I don't know. Right. I don't know that it'll happen, but we'll try it. Anyway, folks, enjoy a good 30 minutes of just NBA gold. It's like NBA porn. It's amazing. Damn. Okay. <laughs> okay. This episode of the Cedric Maxwell Podcast is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Right now, when you head over to BetOnline.ag and enter the promo code CLNS50, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus just for listening to this podcast. A minimum deposit of $55 is required to qualify for the bonus. Please see BetOnline's general rules for additional terms and conditions. That's BetOnline.ag, your go-to site for online betting. Make sure you enter that promo code CLNS50. All right, let's get back to Cedric Maxwell. The other team that we knew we had to get ready for to play if we were going to win a championship. Well, there was no way. I always, I laughed and I read this thing where you said you're the bird catcher. The funniest thing about all that was that you were the hardest dude ever to set a freaking pick on. I was like, Larry would be screaming at me, set a pick so I can get open. I said, Larry, I have to set a pick on you because this dude is on your fucking hill. He, he was right behind you. And you were yeah. One, I was super duper skinny. Yep. Two, that's why they called me the shadow because I became 
Wow. I, I, you know, I hadn't thought, and I knew how skinny you were, but it was like if Larry could post you up, then he was good. But you were like a gnat that was around him. Just like you, you, you could, he couldn't do anything to get away from you. And that was just, I thought it was just funny as hell because he would be so mad because he'd be telling us, sell a damn pick on Cooper. I was like, dude, I can't. He's right behind you. There's no way to set a freaking pick on him. Well, you know what, Cornbread? The one thing I think that's lost in today's game, I think back in the 80s, and Larry and Magic started this, they were role players. People played their role successfully. Yeah. I think that's lost because now everybody wants to be a star. Yeah. So they're yeah. not doing those little things. Yeah, that that is true. I I laugh because and and I'm gonna take you forward because I I laugh so much because of just how mad you guys used to be at ML Carr. It became it became such a black and white thing, and it was like you guys even compared him to to the guy in Roots, and I was like, damn, that was like the most non-black thing I'd ever heard. And that started after you said tragic magic words, so we had to come up with something. But you know that role that ML Carr played, you know that waving that was antagonistic. Yeah. You know that that was his role, and that got people upset. Sometimes it took your mind off the game because what you want to do is to make him sit down and not wave his flag. But you know what? It's all about team camaraderie. And and that was that was our thing too, though. We always figured if we could keep you guys away from doing them damn high fives. And we were going to win the damn game. We hated that shit. We hated it. Oh, my God. Dude, you don't know how many times. You don't know how many times we wanted to. Oh, my God. That used to piss us off. We would go. We would go to practice sometimes and say, all right, if this dude does a high five. <laughs> we about to go at him right now. You know what? That is news to me. And I'm glad, Cornbread, that you're saying that. Because I knew we were getting under you guys' skin. And the thing that we had to do with you guys is to get you out of your game because you guys are so mentally tough. And that was the one thing. Hey, you got to get somebody. Yeah. Get Mikhail, get a parish. And I mean, Chief was so nonchalant and just even killed. There was nothing that we could do. So we had to find something. But, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you're letting out these little secrets now because now I can rest my mind at ease because I know that we were doing something right. Oh, yeah. You were doing something. <laughs> you were doing something right. I always laugh because I talked to Byron Scott about this and I said, Man, we had the Lakers. We had you guys in in L.A. in the sixth game, and we were beating you pretty good in the fourth quarter in 1984. And all of a sudden, Pat Riley puts in some stiff called Byron Scott. I'm I'm like, what the hell? And he scores like 12 points, and you guys win the game. We were so pissed off. We had we had put like plastic on our our uh, our suits and everything because we knew we were going to win the game. We we're going to win the championship in L.A. that game. Well, you know what? I'm glad that we tarnished that. '84 <laughs> is still my sticky point because that's the year that we should have won. We felt uh, in our hearts, and I mean the people that have been there, myself, Magic Green. Even to this day, we kind of talk about that 84 season, so that's the game we should have won. But you know what? That's what made basketball competitive back then because we knew, yeah, we had to do our thing in the West and we had to win some games in the East, but we always had a selfish circle because we said if we're going to win, we know we have to get ready for them. So all our games during regular season was always geared. Yeah, I mean, you know, you get ready for uh, George Gervin and so uh, Alex English in Denver, but you knew you had to go through Boston, and that was the fun part. About it. Yeah, that that was. But 
if you want to blame somebody, why don't you blame your, your boy, James Worthy? Why don't you blame him? Now, you don't think James is. No, hell no. I'm not letting him go. Because, you know, I'm saying with him, he was the one that threw the butt. He was, the, you guys had us down one, that one game. You could have won game two. He threw the ball away. That's what I said. Gerald Henderson would have stayed. Yes. Like he's supposed to. I was like, these dudes could have had us. You could have had us down 2-0 going back to L.A. And you won game three. But the thing I realized about that, when we won that game, it was almost a miracle. For, it was a miracle for us. But then when we came out and played you guys in game three in 1984, I have never got beaten so bad in my life in a game. It was like you guys were... The Santa Monica, like we were at the beach, man. It was a wave after wave. And I laughed because after you beat us in game three, I was going someplace in L.A. that day, and we're going out to eat, and they were talking about the game on the radio, and the guy said, well, how's the Lakers-Celtic uh, series going? He said, and some guy said, well, it ain't over, but the fat lady sure is warming up, and that pissed us off that much more. <laughs> That's what I tell my son about because he did this new wave. I sit him down every day and thank God for ESPN Classic. Yeah. Because they just show some of the games and you know how I'll I'll tape them and record them. I just have my son watch. And the thing he always says about us, unlike today's basketball, he said, it doesn't matter who was playing, Cleveland, Philly, Celtics. He said, Dad, you guys really passed the ball back then. That's a credit to Larry and Magic. They came in and they knew that everybody had to share the basketball and they made the lesser players better and it was called team. How did you how did you feel about that? Because see I was the first one to play against Larry uh, when his rookie year. Uh, and I was averaging like nineteen points a game. And he came in and I'm thinking in my mind, I was like Shh. Yeah, great white hope. Here we go. Here we go. And played against him. And I remember after practice, the first black person I could get to, I was like, you know what? That freaking white guy can play. So it was so different in black and white looking at it because it almost seemed like like we were black. Obviously, we had black players. But I would say most black people, and I always laughed about this, if you were a Celtic fan, there was something wrong with you because <laughs> you were supposed to be a Laker fan. You think if you were black, you were supposed to be a Laker fan. Our team was supposed to be a white team, and it really just pissed us off that we were put in that position. Well, let me tell you this, Baxter. This is a true story. My uncle, back in the 60s when I was growing up, he was a big-time Celtic fan. And he used to, whenever the Celtics played, he would sit me down on a little black-and-white TV, and he said, Mike, watch. Well, this is how the game is played. Bob Cousy, John Havlicek, who happened to be my idol. Those were the players that I kind of uh, patterned my game after a little bit. But that was basketball. And yes, the athleticism came in, and, you know, the black player came in. But you know what? The funny part that you say about Larry and Magic, if you look at them, them guys are identical. Larry couldn't jump, Magic couldn't jump. <laughs> he had a jump shot until he got into the game. Magic didn't have a good jump shot until he got into the game. But both of them were always in command and control of the whole game. Yeah. And, you know, we used to tease Magic about not being able to jump, and he'd go, listen. Two points is two points, but I'd rather for you to get it than me. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, and then this, I, I told people, I said, as great as that series was in 84, I said the best compliment I had was in 1985, uh, the year I got hurt. And something that Magic said, he said, he knew that if Cedric Maxwell wasn't playing in that game, that you guys were going to win. And that's one of the greatest compliments I think I've ever got from a, a Laker from, from any Laker. I'm going to tell you this, Max. I'm going to give you 
this is very rare that I get a Celtic compliment. Know so that, so this okay. is going to be special for you. But I agree with Magic because I think of all the matchups that we had when we were always preparing for you guys, your matchup was the most difficult one. I couldn't guard you, so you know I, that was out of the plan. So it was either Worthy, Michael Thompson, Bob McAdoo. And what made your matchup so interesting, because you had that unorthodox, uh, slippy, slimy, slinky uh, kind of game. <laughs> but the thing that really bothered us is you were a go-to guy, but you weren't. You were giving the basketball up, so it was hard to double-team you. Yeah. Because first you step out, you know, 10, 12 feet, and then you back them down. By the time we got there, you were kicking it out to shooters. So you were one of the people that we had X'd on our, our scouting report that he's the one that we got to stop. So when, wow. when you did get injured, you knew that you weren't playing. We knew we were going to win, but we, it was going to be a little easier. It's always be difficult because Celtics and the Lakers, whoever five that they put out there is going to play. But it's those matchups that you have to take advantage of, and we could not take advantage of your matchups. I always love the. I always love that. When I, I think about the Lakers and, and what they bought, and this is what I truly believe, and I've told people this a thousand times, you guys were the better team. But I tell you what I think we did in 1984, we made you the team that we that you were because we beat the hell out of you guys. And we didn't beat you necessarily physically, but we beat you mentally. And I watched you guys grow the next year to fight back instead of being like, oh, they hit us, they hit us. No, you guys start fighting back. And it, it really changed how I viewed the Lakers over the next 10 or 12 years, how you guys start playing the game. Well, I would agree wholeheartedly, Max, because when we played you guys, we always thought, okay, we're just blitzing glamouring. We're running down the floor. And you guys were so-called like Detroit Pistons, the blue-collar workers, roll your sleeves up and went to work area. And when, when you guys, when we got to you guys, you guys just kicked our butts physically in the paint because that's where championships are won. Yeah. As well as, and, and you guys did that because that stopped us from running. Yeah, you knew yeah. If you got out and ran, you let us run. It was going to be a track meet. But if we couldn't run, we had to work for every point we got. Uh, we knew it was going to be difficult, but you are absolutely right. After you guys beat us up there, we knew that we had to play some games. And, you know, this year after that, it was Detroit. Next year was the A train for us getting out the West with the San Antonio Spurs. We had to be more physical, but we could still play our game. But it, it has to get down, low down and dirty. And boy, did the Celtics do that to us. Yeah, I, I believe that. And I, I still look at your guy, Big Game James, and <laughs> I, I laugh because I cannot believe how. And he said this before, and I always think it was the funniest thing. He said, he talked, they asked him one time about players he played against. And he said, who's one of the toughest guys you played against? He said, well, this guy wasn't, he wasn't the best player, he said. But he said, every time I played that damn Cedric Maxwell, I couldn't freaking go to sleep. I was, I, I was thinking about him. I was like, damn, dude, was I in your head that much? Yeah, you're a shit talker. Constantly running your mouth. And that was it was that was so funny because I had one of my best moments. We were playing against you guys in like a regular regular season game. You had two or three guys over there who was were they weren't playing. I think one of them was like Larry Springs or Spriggs or somebody over there, and they were all screaming and yelling at me. We're in the forum, and and, and I'm sitting there. I take the basketball out. 
I'm near Pat Riley, and the referee's about to hand me the ball. And those three guys have been yelling at me. And then the referee got ready to hand me the ball. I said, hold on a minute. He kind of looked at me, and Pat was standing there. And I tapped Pat. I said, Pat, do me a favor. Put one of those assholes in down there. <laughs> and he put one of them in. I scored about five or six points. And that guy went back. He never said another word. And as he was walking out of the game, I said, the next time people out here working and you have a free seat, maybe you should just shut the hell up. <laughs> and him and his boys, they never said another word. You know, as you talk about relationships and individuals that you guard, and the one, obviously, uh, my son was always Larry, but... Uh, you know, the late Dennis Johnson, yeah. a friend of mine. The mm. funny part about Dennis was, you know, we're from Pasadena. Yeah. We played against each other at junior college. When Dennis got to the pros, he went to Seattle. And, I, you know, everybody was like, hey, if he can get there, we can get there. Dennis and I were very close, very close. His wife down and everything. The season started. He would always come up to me and say, hey, Coop, how you doing? And I wouldn't say anything. He goes, damn, man, you take this personal. <laughs> I said, Dennis, shut up. You're wearing that Boston Celtic jersey. <laughs> 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 During the season, never talked to him, but he'd always come say hi to him. But we would hold a conversation. After the end of the season, he'd come home, we sit down, go play ball, sit down, have a drink, and things like that. But I know what you mean about those relationships as far as working with, against the guy and with the guy. Yeah, yeah. I just think that it was the era of, of basketball at that time to me was so much fun. And and you guys bought out the best in us. We bought out the best in you. The thing I knew that there wasn't ever going to be any lunch or dinner or nobody calling anybody, nobody going to somebody. It, during the season, that was just taboo. You didn't, we didn't speak to Lakers. I, I always told people, I said, if, if, if there was a Laker who was on fire <laughs> and I had a glass of water and I was driving by, I'd drink the water. I would drink the water. I wouldn't pour it on the car. <laughs> No, that was that's how competitive it was during that time that we didn't like each other. And I thought I think even today in the NBA, I think because of that and the fact that it isn't the physical game it is or intimidation. I mean, when we play games were won by intimidating the other team. When when you were the Lakers and you guys were playing in the form and you had the Laker girls and had the air conditioning and all that, you guys had the shit. You you had everything. The form club? Yeah, we a form club. We had we you come to Boston, you came here that time, the temperature was like hundred and ten in the building. <laughs> you guys didn't know what to do. In the winter, y'all had the air conditioner on. The <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that I, I I was sitting there and told people I said I said there was one thing that one of the funniest thing that happened to me, and you won't remember this, and it was between you and I, I got traded out to the Clippers, and we were playing the Lakers. We were playing you guys uh, at the sports arena, and after the game, it was some young lady came up to me and said something. And you were walking out at the same time, and you are, you told me, and I, I always never remember, I always remember that you said, "Yo, man, leave our hoes alone." I was like, "Damn, <laughs> really, dude? Is that how it is?" It's like, uh, so I always remember that. You probably won't remember it, but but it was something you said to me. <laughs> Those were the days. And because I thought the funniest part was was when I finally got traded out there and played with the Clippers. It was like I was playing with a a, a, a Japanese team or something. <laughs> we got no respect. I mean, we, we got we like we were a JV team out there. We're playing against you guys. It was like you are you got to be kidding me. And we had some. 
you know, we had Silk who came over. Uh, we had Norm who, who played with me. Derek Smith was playing. Um, we had some uh, Marcus Johnson. So we had some decent players. But you guys, it was it was it was it was like night and day between the two teams. You know, and that, that's why you know you play with a team your whole career, uh, certain teams, and you develop that championship. You win some, and there's a certain way to play. And then you go to another team. It's hard to recreate that if you don't have yes. ten or twelve guys on the same page. So that's why in '91, when I retired, uh, you know, Doctor Bud said, "Coop, listen, we're gonna trade you, or you can." Tired, which one do you want to do? I said, Well, I'm not, I don't want to get traded. San Antonio, uh, Seattle had asked about me. It would be hard for me to go to another team and then tear down everything that you have built up. So I know that had to be difficult when you went to Boston and played to, to you know, to tear that down. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it really was. I, I had one of those things that happened to me, and I always laugh because it was one of my first games with the Clippers. And I made the same kind of move, you know, a little up and under, got this guy up in the air. I thought I was going to get a foul. And I got no foul. I got no love. <laughs> I looked at the official. I'm like, damn, man. I'm like, what What happened? He said, let me tell you something. You don't play with the Celtics no more. You ain't getting that damn call no more in the NBA. I'm like, damn, really? Oh, the officials took advantage of that, too. <laughs> yeah. It, it was one of those things where I, I, I loved. I mean, it's. It's like I, I tell people now we are like old warriors, man, that, you know, we we reminisce about those glory days we played. We couldn't stand each other then. But the thing that I think that we really do now and I've talked to Byron, I talked to, you know, different people and Imagine. we just have such a great respect for each other for what yeah. we actually went through. It's like we it almost reminds us like like we were Ali Frazier that, you know, we we went to war with each other. And at the end of the day, I think we both were better because of it. Of course, of course. And you know, it goes back to that, like you said, that respect factor. You respected a guy for what he did on the floor. Yeah, y'all played a little dirty, but you got to respect that guy. <laughs> you guys, only way y'all could win. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Suffer. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, it is a big respect factor. And, you know, like when I see Chief and I see him at some of the retired player things and different players, you know, you, you – when we were playing, I wouldn't say hi to you in a minute. Yeah. But now, you know, you shake hands, you hug, and talk a little bit about it. Uh, the old times. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the same way. I I, I talked. It was um, a couple of weeks ago. I was at a uh, celebrity golf and tennis tournament with um, uh, Jeffrey Osborne had uh, in Providence, and Dr. J was there. And Doc just came up to me. He was like, <laughs> he was like all over me. I'm like, damn, dude. What, I mean, what's the problem? <laughs> I understand, you know. I, I liked you. I like. As a matter of fact, here's one of the things that I always told people. And Kareem was like my favorite player of all time. And and I finally got a chance to tell him that about three or four years ago. He was in. It was in Boston for a game. And I was telling. Him, I said, man, I just want to let you know. That I, when I was in college, I wore 33. You were like my most, you were my favorite player. And I got a chance really, and then I did a gold trotter tour with him a couple of years later. And I got a chance really to finally meet him. And he was so different than what, he wasn't the standoff guy that I thought, you know, that, you know, that, that everybody talked about. He was intellectual. He understood the game and he wanted the, he wanted the game to be played the right way. Yeah. Fundamental. You got to look at the coaches he's had through his career, and John Wooden played a big part of that. 
And Kareem was just that kind of guy, man, you know, and he was always to himself. He and I had a good relationship because he's, uh, he likes jazz music. Yeah. So people, when they see him, they think one thing of what you see, but when you, you know, away from the game, he's totally, totally different, you know. Yeah, those were those things that I just truly believe that between those two teams. And I, I laugh because I thought about the Celtics and I, I thought about how God kind of cursed me as being a black player. And I always thought that I always thought black players were like, you know, you're never going to find me a black, a white player that was going to be better than me. God's a funny guy. God didn't give me one white player. That, he gave me two. He, he gave me two of the greatest white players probably ever to play. Kevin McHale and Larry Bird playing together. And I thought that was so unique because we were identified by those two, but nobody identified your team with, you know, with uh, Kupchak or Rambus. You guys weren't even, they they were like non-entities. <laughs> they were the clue, but listen, you have one other nemesis that I did not like, and I didn't like them from college, Danny Ainge. Yeah, yeah. But you know what, Danny was a heck of a player too, and it's, Always nice. When I see Danny now, we laugh and we laugh more about our college days. Uh, but again, those were those kind of moments that you had. He's such a dirty player. <laughs> You're limited uh, athletic, athletic wise. You know what? You have to take advantage of holding your hands and that. But you know what? Nobody can shoot the basketball as, as competitive as a player as he was because Danny wasn't going to back down from anything. That really, that really is true. And it just you think about those guys that I said that I played with and. Dennis Johnson and to get him and the great players, but everybody we had on our team, they were sub-level players. And what I mean by that is like Larry Bird went to Indiana State. He didn't go to Indiana. I mean, the only one that played at the big-time school was Kevin McHale. I went to UNC, UNC Charlotte. James Worthy went to Chapel Hill. Magic went to Michigan State. You guys had all the players. You know, Kareem went to UCLA. Robert Parrish went to Cincinnati. So we had all those sub-level players. So we had more of an attitude even about that because of just the way you guys were built. But you know, we see you got issues on a big time. That's true. That's true. I still need help. <laughs> you can work them out with us again. But that, that was great. Uh, I think, uh, what do you, what do you think of Casey Jones as a coach? Pat Riley was pretty good. He always prepared us uh, to get ready. And, you know, he had a unique way of preparing at that time because, again, you know, Basketball is on a whole other level now as far as preparation, watching game tape. We had to do it the old-fashioned VCR way, EHS. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing Pat always came to us is he talked to us before every game. He talked like 30 minutes on what we had to do as far as player personnel, about us as a team, what we need to do offensively, what we need to do defensively, and who were the main keys for the other team. So whenever we played Boston, it would go 45 to an hour long, and it was like, okay, Pat, but you know. <laughs> No, listen, man, seriously, we never tuned him out because he always has something different to say. Wow. Uh, unlike any other team we were playing. So what, what you, how was KC's own with you guys? KC was just the opposite. We were, we were pretty much like self-coached. I mean, KC was very quiet. Uh, you know, it was, he was just kind of let guys do what they wanted to do and and the thing about it, I think the greatness about our team and I think and the greatness about your team, even if Pat Riley hadn't been there, you were self-motivated because you had coaches on the floor. You had Magic. You had Larry Bird. You had myself. You had all these guys who were competitive as hell. So you didn't have to drive those horses too hard. You, like, you point that horse in the direction. He was going to get there one way or the other. But because of that, I think that that's why we were a little different in the fact that 
KC didn't talk to us as much. I mean, I remember yes. game. I remember game seven. Uh, we were all laughing uh, here in Boston when we were going to play you guys in 1984. We were. I had uh, my pregame meal was uh, a McDonald's. Or and a large fry, a Big Mac, and two apple pies. That was my pregame. And so when we were in, in the locker room before the game, all those guys were kind of, a few of those guys were nervous. And since I had been the finals MVP, I, I wasn't nervous. And I told them, I said, let me tell you something, guys. And I can say this to you. Everybody said, oh, you said get on my back, you know, and I'm going to carry. I said, no, you bitches get on my back. I'm going to carry you. I'm going to carry all of you. And all of them looked at me like, seriously, you going to do that? I said, yeah, I'm going to do that. I said, because I felt at that time that I was playing against James Worthy, who was going to be a great player, who turned out to be a better player than me, who turned out to be a Hall of Famer. But at that particular day, at that particular time, that matchup was going to favor our team because mentally I was going to put him in my damn back pocket. And that was the end yeah. of the day there. Max, ask, tell me if this story is true. KC was getting ready to draw up a play and Larry said, give me the damn ball and everybody else get out of the way. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. KC was, he, KC was stuttering back and forth like, Larry, we going to do that. And we going to do that. Larry said, yo, yo, give me the damn ball and y'all get the hell out of my damn way. <laughs> <laughs> that is a true story, and, and Larry was Larry was pretty ruthless. I mean, there was a story I had with him that was you love this one. Uh, at that time, Pete Maravich was playing with us just before you know we we got really good, and Pete Maravich was uh, passed it to Larry, and Pete's man came down and double teamed Larry. Larry forced up a shot. We came over to the side, and Pete said, "Larry, Larry, you got to pass me the ball, man. You know, you they're they're double teaming you." Larry looked up and said, if you were any damn good, they wouldn't be double teaming me. I was like, damn, this dude was a Hall of Famer. I was like, really? That's how you're going to talk to him? So, I mean, Larry Larry was pretty ruthless when it came to it. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing. And I mean, we just didn't, I don't know what it was, but boy, we just did not like your guy magic. It just didn't, I mean, whatever it is. The, the Hollywood and two two players to me could have never gone to better teams. Larry fit the Celtics and Magic fit the Lakers. But boy, you're talking about a guy that we hated. Oh my God, we hated we hated tragic, hated him. And we could get if we could get that damn smile off his face, boy. That was that was what we looked for. We just wanted to get that damn smile. If we could get you guys and. And you know, dancing Barry out there and the Laker girl. You guys, you guys just sucked, man. I I, I hated you guys. <laughs> you were so freaking Hollywood, man. I hated everything about the Lakers, and I think that made it that much better. <laughs> I'm glad you're getting it all out. Yeah, it's coming out. I'm, I'm sitting here. <laughs> I'm sitting here right now. I'm sweating because I'm he talking is, about he this. Is. I feel like I feel like I want if, if look if I didn't have my knee operation the other day I had a torn meniscus and they just did a repair on it I feel like I just want to go out and do some wind sprints right now. Listen, you're a senior citizen now. Relax. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Thank you, sir. Thank, thank you. That was the joy about magic is that that guy that smile just was but that's how that guy was every day at practice. He used to come but when he first came with me he sat one of the big boom box you know on um, uh, 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 radio Raheem yeah yeah a, 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 a serious radio that big he was bringing he playing Frankie Beverly he 
you can hear him from the outside in the, uh, the, the parking lot yeah. coming in. Everybody said, here come Magic. Oh. And the guy would just be smiling. He loved playing the game of basketball, man. He, he really did. He loved it. It's so. And one of the things you said about that, which is, I think is so true, a lot of people don't know that, is that I was a huge Frankie Beverly fan. I didn't know Magic was such a huge Frankie Beverly fan until one day I did actually did a show and we did a promo before it. And man, he absolutely like went ballistic. I'm like, damn, dude, because that was a because that was one of the and it was so weird because I remember being out there when I played with the Clippers and Magic walked into some show and James Ingram, the great singer, was singing on the stage and Magic walks in. He go he's. He's singing a song and he stops in the middle of the song and says, Yo, Magic, hey, how you doing? I'm like, damn, that dude was huge in LA. Huge. <laughs> Big time. That's the way he wanted. You know, he, he and I came in, well, I came in a year before him, but I got hurt, so we were like rookies together. And he, he would he would always say this, because we go eat breakfast. Uh, he'd always say, You know what, Coop? I'm gonna set this town on fire. Wow. And then after we got back, he said, I'm gonna set this league on fire. And he was he was First six nine point guard, you know, big guard like that. Cause, and man, he was something special. But he always was about team. Yeah. Never about himself. He always was about team. On the road trips, uh, when we get into the city, we uh, he loved going to the movies. All right, let's go. Who's going to? He never bothered Kareem, me, mm-hmm. Worthy, Byron. Uh, he wouldn't bother Kirk or Mitch. But you know, hey, let's go. They get by five or six of us, and we go to a movie. Wow. As soon as we hit town, we put our bags in the room and we go out to a movie. He loved watching movies and he loved this Frankie Beverly. Man, I'm 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 really, you know, it's just really it's really cool though in talking to you now. And like I said, I've never given too many Lakers compliments because of just how I've always felt about you guys. But as I this this is actually I'm gonna say this right now is therapy, and I hope you're not charging me because. <laughs> I'm feeling I'm feeling better right now, and probably by the time I, but man, if I saw you, if we were in the room together, I'd be like, I'm not. Now I'm gonna tell you right this: it wouldn't be like you know Magic and and his boy Isaiah kissing. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't do that now. Yeah, because we won't doing that, and that was another thing that like pissed me off. Like, is that a grown man kissing another grown man? <laughs> that is, wait, is that a, is that a grown man kissing another man on the cheek <laughs> before a series? Are you serious? So there were things about your team that I absolutely despised, and that was one of them. I mean, I like I like Isaiah and I like Magic, but that was like that just opened everybody's eyes in the NBA. Like, what in the hell? I mean, what did you think about that? Childhood friends, they've known each other for a while, so that's why I was accepting of it a little bit. But that, he went, and you know what? Uh, before the game, Coop and Max are kissing at half court. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that would have been just, I mean, when I understood it, it was funny, but as a player who was sitting right there watching it, I just wonder how, how you felt because it, it was, because it wasn't, nobody had ever done that in the NBA before. I mean, like you shake hands, you. you what are you talking about? I was watching it in That's what I'm saying. I, I'm saying, like, what? Did your mouth, like, did just drop open? Like, did I just see that? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, we got it. We, we got it. 
<laughs> All right, dude, man. Hey, it was good talking to you, man. I do appreciate the fact you came on. And uh, when I get out to L.A., we're going to get together. I'm going to get together with your boy James Worthy one day. You tell him I want to get up and uh, so we can break some bread and we can squash all this bullshit. He's a golfer, too, so he'd love that. All right. All right, man. We'll, we'll holler at love you. Talking to you, man. Thank all right. you. Bye. You were sweating. No, are you happy? I am. I got no air conditioning. I kept the air conditioning off so we could... It wouldn't be like you're uh, sweating, you're breathing heavy. Yeah. I thought you were gonna like turn no, into like I, start doing posting no, me up or something. I had no AC on. I Holy said, shit! I turned the AC off and you know I'm all excited because I'm you know How, I that was know really good. Like and go back and forth and we're trying to get you know. Here's the thing, actually, for real, I didn't have to say a word and I wouldn't because no. I would have I would have messed it up. Mm. That was so perfect. You were like, God, go. So. Yeah, I kept going. I kept giving hand signals. Yeah, hand signals. Okay. Yeah, okay. And then I was like 30 minutes. I can tell you're kind of running out of gas. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. But uh, that was uh, that was awesome, Max. So, and uh, Worthy's next, right? So yeah, we, we, we got to make we got to do the Lakers tour. We should go through. Yeah, the we should we should get together and actually make that a bigger thing. With, I agree. Some, with some sponsor, uh, when we go out to LA, we're gonna be in LA. You need to come out to LA. Yep, yep. And before the game, I mean, I know. Um, this was like uh, open court to me. Every you don't watch yeah. it. NBA TV, they do the open court. You guys are just sitting there chilling. You're bullshitting, and I couldn't talk, man. I didn't want to. Like I'm like, what, what am I gonna give my opinion? Who cares about me? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is true. the truth. Well, that's what I said. It, it wouldn't. It wouldn't do for you to do it. All I can tell you is I could give you the fan perspective, and uh, fan perspective would be you went from beating the hell out of each other, Celtics, Lakers, to Magic kissing Isaiah. And we were all like, what yeah. is going on there? Yeah, we looked at it like, oh, Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, because, you know, you and guys. And never happened before. I also remember in 87, you were in, in L.A. at that point with the Clippers, but Bird and Magic fist bumping. Remember that? Yeah. That was kind of like really. Yeah. Well, the thing that happened there was that they had that, they had, had that commercial they did yeah. together. And I think that changed their perspective because they didn't know each other. Mm -hmm. And one thing Cooper said, which was really cool, was that neither one of those guys could jump. Yeah, because Magic was not Magic, and you had you had Magic, and you had Larry. Both guys were were non jumpers. So to see them do some things sometimes when they dump the basketball, you'd be like just kind of like, whoa. Yeah, man. You if you had a if if it was today, you'd be rewinding it. No, I had the VCR. I'd slow mo it. Are you kidding me? Where did that come from? Yeah, Larry, and so I think it was a it was a time. I think we touched on a lot of different things about the team, and you know the guy that, like I said, the guy I admired more than anybody is, and I'm glad I got a little perspective on him was Kareem. Yeah, because he's always been like my favorite player. He's been the intellectual guy. I've seen him from time to time in Charlotte. I was at the airport, and all of a sudden I heard somebody saying cornbread, cornbread. Like, he, was sitting, <laughs> he was sitting back in the corner, like you, you can't imagine Kareem, Kareem hiding, Abdul hiding. And he, wasn't, and he wasn't in like a private room, but he was just out there waiting to get on the flight coming back, coming to LA. And in the line, like with yeah, regular regular line, just coming. He was flying uh, from uh, Charlotte to LA, and he was going to get on the flight. And I was having to be walking by, and all of a sudden, he just yelled out my name. It's like. And I so there. somebody in your position with somebody in Kareem, obviously Kareem, you know, one of the greatest players of all time, if not the greatest, does your heart stop or is that just like no? 
No, it kind of stops. Yeah, it kind of stops when Kareem, you know, knows who you are. Yeah. It's like I wasn't the ancillary player. <laughs> and I get, it says I did a gold trolley tour with him where we had a bunch of NBA players and we played the gold trolley. What year was that? Ended up beating them. I want to say that was like maybe in 2000 or maybe, no, maybe, no, it was. 1992, I think. Something so right like after that. you retired. After I retired. And I got a chance to talk to him a little bit. And we were over in Amsterdam. And Kareem would take it. Oh, Max, you were in leave, Amsterdam. <laughs> he would leave us. He would leave us. We were, I think we were in Holland. But he would go to Amsterdam and mm-hmm. be there for, yeah, yeah, go do his thing. And, you know, so he'd come back all happy. And so it was just it was I still really weird. Think one of the most iconic pictures is him with uh, Bruce Lee, right? Yeah. Where he's kicking over his head. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, people, they'll say, oh, back then they weren't athletic. They weren't athletic. And truthfully, I mean, the game was just slower. But they were athletic, man. Yeah, I mean, for Kareem, Kareem to be Kareem able, he did athletic. yoga. Yeah, but he Kareem didn't look was, athletic. Kareem was athletic. At, when Once he got into the 80s, yeah, he didn't and, look and quite as athletic. So it slowed down then, but he kind of remember. 85, he, he kind of lit yeah, you guys up, Max. But you remember this. When he started playing, let's see, I would start playing in, I start, see, I came in the NBA in 77. So he had to be in the NBA Ten, at least eight years. Eight years yeah. before I was even in. And by one, time two, I got, one and by the time I left, he was still playing. one of the guys at the top of his game. So it was it was just uh, amazing because it said I I can I remember distinctly and I, I would tell him as a little boy one of my one of my worst days was when uh, Houston with Elvin Hayes mm-hmm. beat um, Lou Alcindor mm-hmm. at the time in the, Ast- in the Astrodome. <laughs> I remember that like yesterday. I was sitting there watching it, and Kareem had that, you know, a scratch on his eye. Yeah. He was playing essentially with one eye, with a, and it was, and then I was just devastated. And then they played uh, Houston in the semifinals uh, that year. And, oh, my God, they beat Houston to death. They beat them by 30, 40 points. And then... Then they played. He was with Milwaukee or LA. No, Milwaukee. this is no. This this was college. We was at UCLA. 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 Oh, yeah, and then right. he. Then was, they stopped. Dun- they stopped dunking because of him. Uh, didn't they? Yeah, and then it was like the next game they played for the championship, and I don't know why, but the game was in in LA. I don't know why they, well, whatever it was, it worked out well. But they played University of North Carolina, uh, one of my favorite teams at that time, uh, and they played them, and they did. You know the. Uh, you say like beat the hell out of me. I was just like, <laughs> I, I mean, I couldn't couldn't have been more happy during that time of watching. You know, my favorite player, the guy I idolized. That's why I wore thirty three in college. In why did world. you give up thirty three for ML? No, I just no. I, Bird wore thirty three. He wore thirty three, but the year he got there, we had a guy called Steve Kaversky. Kaversky, oh, and he's Steve legendary. Steve I don't Kaversky know. <laughs> was was. The, they didn't know if he's gonna make the team or not, and they'd given me the number thirty-one. No, they'd given me the number thirty at that time, and I was like, they cut Steve, and then there was, you know, I didn't want to ask for the number because I was just so happy to be on the team. Right. So uh, then it was um, the next year after that. I think we got a couple years after that, we ended up getting the ML car, and he had uh, when he was in Detroit, mm-hmm. he won number thirty. Mm-hmm. So we came to That's us. That's where I knew you switched numbers somewhere. He said, do you mind if we change jerseys? Mm-hmm. And he came in as a free agent. I was like, sure. For sure, I'd be glad to. Who's that worthy calling you? No, it's my boy. <laughs> Who's that worthy? So Kareem, man, I mean. He was, uh, that was my, 
All-time idol. The guy I idolize. Well, you sure sound like you idolized uh, Michael Cooper today. Well, you know, I think that Max. thing about Michael Cooper was good in the fact that we were old warriors. We were, like I said, I was a guy trying to set a pick on him, and he was the blade, and he couldn't get, you couldn't set a pick on him. What I loved about our conversation today was that I learned a lot about how they felt about me and how I felt about them. Mm-hmm. And um, most of it was pretty good. So you were pretty. You most must of, have been pretty good, man. Yeah. I was saying a lot of nice things about you, man. And uh, those times were good. I mean, hearing you guys talk reminds me of what I miss about the NBA today. Well, I just think that again, I, I look at a guy. Cooper like, clearly does. Did yeah, you I'll, hear him? Yeah, it was three or yeah. four times you referenced. Yeah, I look at I look at you know like a couple plays last year. I saw Jalen Brown come in and, and, and dunk the ball on Giannis mm-hmm. and turn around oh, and flex. And they're muscles. down 10 points. And yeah. they, and, you know, but, they, <laughs> right. but they still, they give him a technical. Yeah. yeah. My years, dude, I'm the one giving James Worthy the choke sign at the free throw line. Dude, you, you weren't there then, but Chief beat the crap out of Bill Lambeer yeah. and they didn't throw him out of the game. Because he deserved it. <laughs> On that note, Max, this is a pleasure sitting down with you, man. I Filling Josue's shoes is not easy, and uh, truthfully, this is a dream come true, man. I appreciate it. Well, enjoyed it, and I'm sure we'll do it again. And again, well, I'm going to give up, as much as I hate it, I'm going to have to give a big shout-out to Michael Cooper. Agreed. For doing us, uh, doing us a solid. He did a solid. On, uh, you know, coming on my podcast, I think that is... Uh, that's one of those things again, and now I can look at some of those older guys I had and we'll go from there. Sounds good, Max. All right. The big girls love that. Chicks love the last shot opportunity. Somebody give me a napkin so I can...